Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Most Americans have either been directly or indirectly impacted from the global supply chain shortage following the pandemic originating from communist China. Keith Crack was a very successful CEO, as well as former Undersecretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy and the Environment, and we're happy to have him on to discuss. Keith Crock, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure, Keith. Uh, when it comes to computer chips, semiconductors, it's something most of us don't really spend much time thinking about in our day-to-day -day lives, although we use them so much. Um, however, this industry has been severely affected by the pandemic. Why do you think that is, and where are some of our biggest vulnerabilities? Well, I th it, there's no doubt about it, Steve, that the semiconductor industry is the most important industry in the world. It underlies all technology. And what happened during the uh, pandemic is a lot of companies uh, canceled a lot of orders, that kind of, and, and there's a long lead time on these semiconductors. The other thing, too, is that when we put uh, sanctions on some of China's uh, companies, they, they stockpiled a lot of those uh, chips. And it's kind of the combination that, uh, that has created that uh, shortage. Now, you mentioned China, uh, TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. They're actually building a major plant in the U.S. partially to combat China's acquisition of so many of these parts and the monopoly on the market. How effective do you think this will be and what more can or should be done? Well, I think it, it's really critical. And when I was under Secretary of State, we got the charge to uh, onshore uh, TSMC. And this was the largest onshoring in history, $12 billion. Uh, because they're the most sophisticated semiconductor uh, manufacturer in, in the world. Now, uh, we also use that onshoring to do a number of things. The first thing we did uh, was to uh, utilize that to persuade companies like Intel and Samsung uh, to onshore because we had been trying to get uh, them to build their plants in the U.S. as opposed to Ireland and Israel and China and South Korea, a, lot, a number of places. Uh, the other thing is to bring in the ecosystem of suppliers uh, and really ramp that up. Uh, and we also use it as a catalyst to work with Senator Warren and Senator Corn to write the $280 billion uh, Chips and Science Act, which, as you know, recently passed uh, in August. It's going to have a dramatic effect. Now, since that onshoring, um, $300 billion of investment has been announced or committed uh, in the U.S., when you look at Intel, did come in with $20 billion in Arizona and followed up with up to $100 billion. In addition, uh, in Ohio, Samsung came in with uh, $17 billion. Micron uh, announced $20 billion and up to another $100 billion. Uh, Texas Instruments, uh, $9 billion of ecosystems, uh, suppliers. So, you know, this will go down as the greatest onshore in history. Keith, these uh, supply chain shortages truly impact our quality of life, and it's almost not really able to uh, to quantify. We're seeing, we're still seeing shortages in vehicles and other products. Certain automobiles can, can't even get leather seating um, or other basic features. Yeah, you know, I was a vice president of General Motors for ten years, and now when you look at an automobile, you know, it's basically. Uh, 
chips and software surrounded by uh, sheet metal and, and plastic. So it's critical. And it did, that shortage shut down a number of, of plants and limited their production. I mean, really billions of dollars worth. And it costs us all kinds of jobs. Uh, and I think that, you know, that taught us the vulnerability of that semiconductor supply chain. And that's why uh, the work we did in terms of onshoring TSMC and also writing that chips act is so strategic in securing uh, the U.S. semiconductor supply chain. Keith, just switching gears here before I let you go, the FCC has recently voted to ban uh, Huawei Telecom Products, a Chinese telecommunication company. Um, Keith, you're a very successful businessman, a capitalist. What do you say to those who want the free market to reign uh, in a case like this? Well, uh, you know, I've already taken a pretty hard uh, stand on that because when I was under Secretary of State, we developed the Clean Network Alliance of Democracies that put together 60 countries representing two-thirds of the world's global GDP and 200 telcos and a whole host of industry-leading tech companies in this clean network alliance of democracies to not use Chinese telecom. Because if you look at Huawei, for example, um, this is the most important company uh, to China's national security, or it was, um, and it's the backbone for their surveillance state that facilitates cultural genocide in Xinjiang. This was uh, the first government-led initiative that defeated China Inc. So what I say to my fellow CEOs, what I've said is, look, you know, out here in Silicon Valley, where I'm based right now, um, you know, we always say corporate responsibility is social responsibility. It's also national security uh, as well. You know, the capabilities that, that Huawei has in terms of shutting down our infrastructure, in terms of personal data, uh, corporations' most uh, precious proprietary information, and, and government's, uh, you know, very important uh, information. Uh, that's all at risk if you use Huawei. You know, one of the things we did with the clean network, we expanded it beyond 5G to clean cloud, clean apps, clean store, clean cable, which is underwater cable and clean carrier. And I think the FCC should ban TikTok as well, applications like that, because they're just sucking in U.S. Uh, data and using it as a propaganda tool. Keith Kruk, really appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Dr. Peter McCullough is a physician and highly regarded internist and cardiologist who's actually the most published medical doctor in his field. We just had a chance to sit down with Dr. McCullough. We spoke to him about a range of vaccine-related issues, starting with the military rollback of the vaccine mandate. Here's a look. Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Doctor, the military has rescinded the vaccine mandate. Uh, if you could, how big of a deal is this and where does this leave us overall in terms of mandates? Out of all the sectors that we have in the economy and our American existence, the military had the strongest commitment to COVID-19 vaccination. And Lloyd Austin was clear and he exemplified that commitment. So for those in the health freedom movement, this is one of the largest victories that can be claimed that indeed the mandates were defeated. The mechanism was through the House and the Senate, ultimately the White House signing off of this. And it was basically based on appropriation. But what we know is the vast majority of the military, in fact, took one of the COVID-19 vaccines or 
they have had an exit from the military because they wouldn't. Doctor, there's been studies that show that uh, those who have been vaccinated may be more susceptible to catching uh, COVID-19. Is this in fact true? And if you could give us some science behind that. There were papers published in 2021 expressing concern on this and the terms came up, one of them, immune imprinting, meaning the vaccines code for a legacy variant. Even today, the bivalent vaccines are 50% formulation. The previous vaccines were 100% formulation for the original Wuhan Institute of Virology strain of the COVID-19 spike protein. Well, if the human body gets exposed to that strain of spike protein that doesn't exist in nature, over and over again, every six months, the immune system is directed against that false target and so leaves one more susceptible to get a new strain of COVID-19. And so the Wuhan strain is long gone. We've gone through alpha and beta, gamma, delta, and now Omicron. So this immune imprinting appears to be real. Uh, the clinical manifestation of that is called negative efficacy, meaning when someone takes a vaccine, they're more likely to get COVID-19 than someone who's never had one at all. Doctor, I'd like to ask you about the NFL football player, Damar Hamlin, uh, the Buffalo Bills, who recently suffered a cardiac arrest uh, on the field. Um, is it appropriate to ask whether or not his condition, situation may have been vaccine related? It's my judgment that the declaration of protected health information, something about you that's protected under HIPAA, <clears throat> Uh, the, the legal standard or the, the clinical standard should be whether or not it's a public health importance. And so we saw this operationalized through the pandemic where a restaurant or a sports venue, like a Buffalo Bills football game, would ask for someone's vaccine status. They would actually have to give up their protected health information to get into the venue. And why did they do that? Because the claim was it's of public health importance. Now when we flip that around and we're seeing complications from the vaccines that the FDA agrees occur, like myocarditis, blood clots, neurologic injury, when these cases come up and other people are at risk for that problem, it's of public health importance. And so it's based on that chain of logic that it's my professional view that yes, his vaccination uh, status should be disclosed. Why? because others are at risk. If indeed he took the vaccine, which we believe 95% of the NFL players took the vaccine by the NFL's report, that there's a 95% chance he took it. Indeed, if he has suffered a cardiac arrest as a result of taking the vaccine, which is well described in the peer-reviewed literature, now we have a public health importance issue for other players who have taken the vaccine. Physician and cardiologist, Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you so much. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.